But I just love that she's like, do I have to do everything? I guess I have to chase this cat burglar down the stairs. Hey, Maniacs. Midsummer Maniacs is a recap podcast dedicated to the ITV series Midsummer Murders. Each week, we dig into the episode of a show including the murders, the mayhem, the loonies, and everything else we love. I'm Mark. And I'm Sarah. And we're your hosts. And this is Midsummer Maniacs. Uh, just a little warning off the top if your child's name is Martha or stands in windows naked, you it's, got a problem. You got a problem, but the podcast is probably not for them. To be fair, we had a kid do that once, but she was about two and a half at the time. Yeah. But it hasn't been a problem since. No. Just no. the one time. Uh, <laughs> basically, if your child is old enough to watch the podcast, they can listen. Uh, old enough to watch the show, they can listen to the podcast. <laughs> they can watch the podcast and listen to the show. Yep. Woo! Slappy, slappy, happy, happy. We are always overwhelmed by the generosity and pleasantry of people. But we've really noticed lately we have infected people. <laughs> yeah. And not we, with the virus. <laughs> no, we get lots of great messages of people saying, hey, I like the show, which is awesome. And we're so glad that you got, that you like it. That's great. Yeah. Um, but we have to apologize if we've sort of broken you because more and more the messages... Uh, let us know that you are now watching Midsummer like we do, and we're sorry. Yes. <laughs> People are paying a lot more attention to like scraps of paper, and that guy's shirt wasn't buttoned right. And <laughs> like, I'm sorry, you can't just enjoy it anymore. You have to watch it like oh, us. I can't enjoy anything anymore. <laughs> well, and once you start watching Midsummer that way, you kind of start watching other things that way too. Yep. Um, we're all in it together. We got a, a nice email from Nancy today, uh, this week. We also got uh, a fun email from Shalaka, who said, and, and I hope that that's close to how she yes, says her name. I hope so too. She says this in the nicest of ways, of course. My husband and I have spent an unreasonable and possibly creepy amount of time speculating about our personal lives. Don't don't think our being me yeah, and you. Yeah, yes. Don't don't <laughs> think you're creepy. It's no. okay. We everybody does it. And we yeah, we definitely do it. And uh we you know, we have a strange personal situation. So, <laughs> so uh, it's no problem at all. Google so. already knows that I'm incredibly nosy because when I type in somebody's name to search for somebody, it, the first thing it predicts is wife or spouse. Because yeah. I'm always like, who are they married to? Yeah. Like, we watched that show with Marcus Samuelson, the chef, and he's married to a woman who's like a foot and a half taller than She's him. giant. <laughs> she's yep. beautiful. Don't get me wrong. She's a model. That's why she's so tall. But yeah, we're nosy too. It's all, it's all good. It's so fine. Also, uh, there was an Instagram story that mentioned us today from Dee Warner. I guess uh, she watches us on her TV and calls us Saturday morning cartoons. I don't mind being a Saturday morning cartoon. No. 
Absolutely. I, I have podcasts I like to listen to on Saturday mornings too. It's usually no such thing as a fish. But she was watching us on on her TV. I'm always amazed by how different people watch and listen to us. Yeah. It's fantastic. Yeah. But you know, you can put a podcast on. And it would on be so weird to be like walking to somebody's house and hear my voice. It happens to me all the time because you're editing and yeah. I can hear myself from the <laughs> other room. True. That's true. You know, you know, it's one of those things when you start a podcast, you feel self-conscious about your voice for easily six months. Now I don't even don't even hear a difference now between my normal voice. I hear myself recorded so much that that's how I hear myself. When what, I you talk. don't talk like this all the time? No, hey, it's Midsummer Mania. I don't use my radio DJ voice. Mark, coming to the stage. <laughs> To talk about the creeper. So, episode seventy-two, the creeper, season ten. No, no 12. twelve. Episode six, February and March two thousand nine is when it was filmed. It's definitely cold outside. Mm-hmm. Broadcast date is the twenty seventh of January two thousand ten, which means we're almost at the eleventh episode, eleventh year anniversary of this show. Yeah. Yep. Uh, 6.35 million viewers and directed by Rennie Rye and written by Andrew Payne. I feel sorry for the Lovell's cat. Okay. (laughs) You want to expand on that? So we start out with Richard and Janet Lovell. Now, Richard Lovell is the chief constable. He's Tom's boss's boss. He's he's in, in the UK. If you're high enough rank, you have to wear a uniform again. Yeah, and your title goes back to a beginning. Yeah. <laughs> right? You start out as a constable, and if you're really good, you end up as a chief constable. It would be as if the president was an intern, <laughs> as if they were chief interns. Yeah. Or if you got high enough up in the Boy Scouts, you were like, Grand Cub. Yes. <laughs> So he, he has a Veritas 8 security system, which you can get for about 75 bucks now on eBay. But it was top of the line then. Yeah, it has a whole five-digit code. Five-digit code. <laughs> but the reason I feel sorry for the cat, right, is he grabs the cat and basically <laughs> throws it outside, shuts the door behind it. And the cat gets blamed because he can't use the cat flap. He has a phobia. A phobia of the cat flap. Even if it did come in the cat flap, it would be stuck there between those two doors in that shed area where they keep the Christmas decorations. The poop on the creeper. <laughs> so the creeper of the title is a cat burglar. Right. And uh, in this cold opening, she, we spoil everything, she is already there. So it doesn't matter that he locks up because she's already hiding in the little shed breezeway, entryway, backdoor thing that they have, which that is probably the creepiest thing as far as I'm concerned. I'm way <laughs> creeped out by the idea that somebody would like hide in your house while you're home. It- other than Dark Autumn, which is the creep, oh, sorry, Dark Autumn and the one with the doll. Those yes. two are the creepiest cold openings. Yes. This is one of those top five creepy cold openings. Yeah, because when you first see it, you don't know whether the creeper's super bad and going to hurt people or what. But just the idea that she's hiding in the darkness in the house. Yes. <laughs> like, okay. But it's midsummer, so it's not going to be that bad. No. It's not 
squiggle from CSI. Gosh, uh, don't Google that. Do no. not Google that. No. Um, <laughs> Spare yourself. He, he walks away without closing cover on the security thing, and I'm bothered by that. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, close the door, close the door, close the door. Right, so the, okay, so the chief constable gets burgled. And yep. this is a big deal because the creeper's been breaking into a lot of houses and stealing a lot of stuff. And now, just spit in the eye. So the creeper is a weird cat burglar. The, the creeper goes into the bedrooms of the people involved. Mm-hmm. First of all, everyone in Midsummer apparently is the deepest sleeper ever. <laughs> She, later on, she shines the light in Rick Mayall's face. Well, okay, but he's drunk, so he's not going to wake up. Well, she puts the mirror up to his face. To make sure he's alive. Yeah. He's drunk and has had a head injury, so he's right out. He's not waking up. But the levels, Richard and Janet, they're in bed, and the cat, the creeper comes in, steals stuff off the bedside table, and then gives Janet her glass of water and a kiss. Janet's reading book, and that sent me down a real little rabbit hole. She's reading a tiny book. A tiny book called The Little Book of Calm. Oh, to help you be calm before bed? I guess. The Little Book of Calm. Uh, it's actually featured in Black's Books, too, a show we haven't mentioned. I don't think we've mentioned Black's Books. I don't books. think so either. Black's Books is a fantastic oh, sitcom. If you haven't seen it, go watch it. Really, Bill Bailey is stunning. <laughs> it's the- good. The piano episode alone is perhaps one of the funniest sitcom and the travel, the one where they go on vacation. Yes, yes. But it's written by a guy named Paul Wilson. The who, Little Book of Calm is? Yes. Okay. Is, he's an Australian meditation teacher and columnist. He's written two novels and 19 self-help oriented books on calmness. I bet you he's a really chill dude. He is. He's written things like Instant Calm, The Little Book of Calm, Calm at Work, The Little Book of Calm at Work, Calm for Life, The Complete Book of Calm, (laughs) Perfect Balance, The Quiet, The Peace of the Quiet, and Calm No Matter What. I just want to find him and like cut him off in traffic and see what he does. Because of this. Expose of this guy going, look, he got really mad in traffic. He's not so calm. (laughs) Because of this, the the Times in the UK Mm -hmm. called him the guru of calm. It could be worse. She could be reading like chicken soup for the chief constable's wife or something. But it's one of those... (laughs) It's one of those '90s self-help booky things. It reminds me of that um, that little book rack in the pharmacy right by the pharmacist counter. Yeah, that's all just weird self-help yep. goofy. Nobody got really paid to write that. They're like BuzzFeed self-help books. Yeah, kind of. it's kind of like that. But you know, this guy's whole business is trying to calm people down, and I support that. Yeah, <laughs> right now we we could probably all use a little book of calm. Can we get a bunch of them and give them away to people who need them? Oh, there's a lot of people who need them. So the creeper gives Janet a kiss. Yes. And this really happened in a real cat burglar case. Oh, so do tell. Uh, There was a um, jewel thief in France who felt guilty because he had tied up the lady of the house. And so he said, it'll be okay. They'll, they'll, they'll come for you soon. And he gave her a kiss on the cheek. They swabbed that cheek for DNA and they caught him. Oh! Mm. That's what you get. Don't kiss people. No, I'm in bed already. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
And then she's like, oh, no. <laughs> so then we see the costume advisor. Did, did you recognize Janet, though? Okay. She's Laura Hutton from Written in Blood. Yes. Right? Yeah. She's the, the romance writer. Yes. Played by um, Jane Booker. Yes. She plays the heart-forlorn heart romance yeah. writer. In so the creeper is is terrorizing Costin. Jones was on the case, but Jones is just not good enough. So but, Barnaby's got to get called in. But there's a mistake. The Midsummer, the Costin advertiser spells Midsummer wrong. When? Who's got it? It's in. It's on the the stoop. It's on somebody's stoop. The paper's folded over. Mm-hmm. And it's spelled Midsummer M O I D S O M M E R. Oh, they put an extra M in it. Yeah, you can get two nights in a European city for a return for ninety nine pounds too. You're or, broken. Or win tickets to your favorite show. You're broken. <laughs> <laughs> You're reading newspapers on fictional people's stoops. Some, finding spelling mistakes. Some intern didn't do a very good job with that fake newspaper. No. So now we're introduced to the families that yes. are involved in this. The Philbys and the Chettams. Yes. The plot of this episode is fairly shallow, right? I would agree. There's not a whole lot to that, but there's a, there's a lot of side stories going on that we can talk about. But So the Philbys are Jack, yes. the dad, and his two daughters. Yes. Talis. Horse. Martha. Boobs. And Rupert. Who is their the, manservant? Their manservant. Poor man. He now we have pointed out in a lot of episodes how do this person take care of this huge house? Yeah, there are tons of servants in this move in this episode. Yeah, there are. There's a chauffeur. There's Rupert. There's a there's cook. Two maids. Yeah, in the who are feeding them and the cook. These people are looked after. They're serving them. They're not feeding them. That would be weird. <laughs> Maids walking around with a big spoon. Open up at the dinner party. Bad that would be weird. Party. <laughs> Bad dinner party. Bad. So the Philbys live in Chetham House, which used to belong to the Chetham family. The Baronet Chetham. Yes. Who have sold the house because that is the fate of many a country estate. They're very expensive to maintain. And so now the Chettams live in the Dower House. And if you don't know what a Dower House is, it's a second small house. It's an it's a like a it's a chocolate box house, right? Yep. It's not a cottage. It's usually no. nice. It's super nice. But small. Yep. And it's on the estate. And that's where the widow of the head of the family would live out her days, right? Yes. So her husband, who is the title holder, dies. So her, their son takes over, and the widow is moved to the dower house. Yes. It's usually less pretentious dwelling. Yeah. It's, but it's usually on the same grounds. But nice. Yeah. Right? Yep. And so they live there now because they sold the house. But they're all friends because they all went to school together. So William Chetham. Yep. who is the baronet, and his wife, Isabel, and his mother, Elizabeth, and their son, Freddie, live in the dower house. So a baronet's a little baron. No. <laughs> well, you think if you're like below a certain height, you get to be called a baronet? No, it's like a sub-baron. No. Oh, what's a baronet? All right. Let me explain. Okay. Because I, I wondered about this too. You know, nobility is a thing in England. We don't have it here in the U.S., but in, the, in England they do. Um, and so the ranks of nobility are Duke, Marquess, Earl, Viscount, and Baron. Marquis. For... Marquis. Yes. Marquess. Queen. 
Qui? Qui. <laughs> okay, when you've got a big tent for like a wedding, is that a marquee too? No. Or is that a marquee? No, it's spelled completely different. It is? Yes. I thought it was the same word. No, it's spelled different. Okay, anyway. Duke, then. Marquee. You said qui. Qui. Marquis. If you're going to correct me, <laughs> be consistent, Mr. I took French for many years. <laughs> That's going at the front of the episode. Earl, right Viscount. There. It's not Viscount. It's Viscount and Baron. All right. So those are all peerage titles, okay. right? Some point in the way back when somebody in that family line did something awesome and or had an estate large enough and wealthy enough to have challenged the uh, royal line and so was therefore... Given a peerage instead, like okay. don't don't you try to become the king? I'll make you a duke. Okay. So you just settle down over there and be a duke, right? Okay. Or I'm the king and the country's too big for me to control it. Before there's cars and stuff, so I'm gonna put my friend over there and give him lots of money and land and call him a duke and put him in charge of keeping that place under control, right? And Bill is the twelfth baronet. Okay, but I haven't talked about what a baronet okay, is yet. Okay. All right. Are you ready? Yeah. Below Baron. Okay. Our baronet. Okay. So I was right. And knight. Okay. Okay. Those are the bottom two. They're not noble titles. Okay. They're peerage titles. Okay. And what it means is that somewhere in the way back when, specifically King James the First in 1611, needed some cash, but he didn't want to create more nobles. So he went to these wealthy guys who were commoners, but really wealthy, and said, if you give me a whole bunch of money for my war, I'll make you a title. So they were new money people, like the Philbies are new money people. Sort of, but in the 1600s. So if you had $1,000, 1,000 pounds. 1,000 pounds. In 1611, which is a lot of money. money. If you were worth 1,000 pounds, he would make you a baronet. So a baronet is a, it's a granted title, but they can be inherited. Okay. All right. But a knighthood. Can't be. Can't be. If you're made a knight, it doesn't matter it, how many kids you have or what they are. They are not knights. Yeah. Right? It's you. And the female knight is a dame. Yes. Okay. So the difference between a knight and a baronet is that a baronet can be inherited. Okay. But it's still not nobility. And they're peerage, not nobility. Right. Okay. So that means that they are not, you don't call them like baronet Chetham. No. They're Sir, like a knight is. Like a knight. Sir Chetham, not Lord Chetham. Yes. He'd be Lord if he was any of the other titles. But the but the dowager is lady. Yes. <laughs> a baronet's wife is lady. Okay, how do you annoy Barnaby <laughs> if you remind him of your title? Okay, I I am no big fan. Elizabeth of, Chetham is of, just insufferable she, anyway. First of all, she's she a killer. Should be in the house. That's where she belongs, isn't <laughs> it, Dower? Where house. she belongs. The other two might not belong there, but she should be in that house yeah. and be happy about it. <laughs> she's got a little chair that goes up and down the stairs and everything. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. No, no, no. I oh, I'm looking. This is so confusing. Okay. Baronet is the only hereditary honor that is not a peer. It's okay. not a peerage. So if you have a baronet, you're not part of the House of Lords by default or anything, even back before they reformed the House and, of Lords. And knights, you're not. No. Uh, unless you're. Well, we'll talk about the House of Lords okay. in a minute when we <laughs> get, is, when that becomes important. This is so confusing. It is very confusing. Just know that a baronet 
is not really nobility. They're as close to it as you can get without being nobility. Is it is this the feeling that British people get when we talk about our House representatives and the junior and senior senator from Indiana, even though they're not... That one's not older than the other. Yes. And that we also and have... state representatives yeah. and state senators. <laughs> this, this has to be as confusing as that. At least we don't call them ridings. Anyway... Yes. So, There's nothing wrong with writing. So the Chetham, Chetham would be Sir Chetham. Yes. But his wife would be Lady Chetham. Okay. And how does this relate to the House of Lords? Okay. You really want to know? <laughs> yes. All right. I spent half an hour on decimalization last episode. <laughs> of course I want to know. So that's the reason why these things are all important, right? Because not only did it mean that you got conferred with certain powers if you were a peer, if you were a noble, but it also meant that early on, well, until the until the late nineties, anyway, yeah. um, you could be part of the House of Lords. So the parliamentary system in in the UK has two houses. They have the House of Lords and the House of Commons. The House of Commons are elected. Yes, right. You're an MP from a riding. From a riding, you get elected. Cool. You, you get elected <laughs> by the people who live supposedly live near where you live, but they twist that around all the time. Anyway, and then the House of Lords used to be strictly peers. Yes. Right? But in the late 1990s, in the late 1990s, specifically 1999, they passed the House of Lords Act, which limited how many peers could be in the House of Lords. Yes. So, and we've talked about that before. But what I think is fun about the House of Lords is it's split into two groups, the Lords Spiritual. Oh. Which are twenty six archbishops and bishops, oh, who are chosen by the Church of England to be in the House but, of Lords. But now they have like Jewish guys and Catholic guys. Yes, yeah. But they are spiritual leaders, and they're called Lords Spiritual. Lords Spiritual. And then you have Lords Temporal. Lords Temporal. Which sounds like something from Doctor Who. Yep. I'm sorry. <laughs> And that is now restricted to 92 hereditary peers. There can never be any more than 92. Well, I'm sure that... But, there, but like cricket, there's no limit on how many people can be in the House of Lords. No. They can have 100 or they can have 500 if they wanted to. And they make the rules up as they go along. So it's like bridge and cricket. <laughs> that we just think are made up. They just pretend there are rules. But I'm sure Doctor Who, when they were creating the whole... Time Backstory, Lord. Time Lord. They, they're they referencing that stuff. Yeah, because Lord sure. Temporal is yeah. Time Lord. Yeah. That's what it means. <laughs> I would rather be Time Lord Sarah than Baronet Sarah any day. Well, plus you would be Lady Sarah then. <laughs> that's true. Anywho, all of that is to say that's why it matters that yeah. William Chetham can't have babies. <laughs> And who knows he's he shooting blanks, guys. Who knows he can't have babies is David. Yeah, pretty much everybody knows he can't have babies. <laughs> yes. They're just not talking about it to anybody else. <laughs> in any other world, that wouldn't be important. They would just go for in vitro and get a donor. Yeah. But since he's a baronet, it matters. Meanwhile, the Barnabys break the door. <laughs> Tom breaks the door. This lock is perfectly fine. Knob comes off in his hand. I'll look at it over the weekend. Like, <laughs> uh, it's just, you know. Jones is supposed to be dealing with the creeper, but now because the chief constable's involved. 
Barnaby. Now it's serious. It's serious. It's very serious. (laughs) Speaking of Saturday morning. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So David arrives. Well, everybody's talking about dinner, right? Because it's Freddie's birthday. Yeah. And Jack, Philby, who is supposedly Freddie's dad, but not Freddie's dad because they're pretending. He thinks he's Freddie's dad. He thinks he's Freddie's dad, but everybody is pretending that he's actually William's kid. It's his birthday. He's going to be 25. (gasps) Oh, they're going to have a birthday party for him. Yeah. And Isabel, Jenny Ogeter. Jenny Ogeter. Wants to know if it's okay if David comes. David, played by Rick Mayo. And there's all of this, oh, David's coming. David's coming. Did you hear David's coming? David's coming. It'll be fun because David's coming. Oh, it might be horrible because David's coming. And then you see who David is and it's Rick Mayo. And you're like, it's about to go down. Yep. (laughs) Rick Mayo's in the house. You might recognize him um, from Drop Dead Fred. Yes. I think that's the first place I ever saw him was in the movie Drop Dead Fred. He was also... One of my favorite roles of his is he plays D.I. Gideon Pryke in Jonathan Creek. Yes, he does. He is a completely and utterly competent and sensible policeman. In a wheelchair. Sometimes. Yes. (laughs) But usually when you've got uh, like an amateur detective in a show, the police hate them. They're antagonistic. But he like works with Jonathan and he's just a little strange. Yep. And he's really fun. But Rick Mayall is famous for playing crazy over-the-top characters. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And this starts with The Young Ones. So The Young Ones is a sitcom, if you haven't watched it, that was on in 82 and 83. Do you know how many episodes of The Young Ones are? Very few. There are 12 precious episodes of The Young Ones. And it is a cornerstone of British entertainment. Oh, you have no idea. It's kind of like, and there are other shows like this too. In the U.S., we've got Saturday Night Live, and in Canada, there was Second City, where this whole generation of comedic actors and comedians got together, and they created great stuff for a brief period of time, then they all kind of split off and had amazing careers. Yes. But that's where they all started. Yep. The Young Ones is sort of like that. Kind of. It is kind of that. So the young ones are four young lads who are in university. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rick Mayo plays Rick, mm-hmm. uh, which I'm having watched behind the scenes of this show. I think they called the character Rick because he didn't understand. Because <laughs> like, <laughs> if it was like Dave, he wouldn't respond. Yeah. <laughs> He'd be like, what? Um, there's Vivian, who's played by Adrian Edmonton. Edmondson. Now you have to know if you've never seen the young ones, Vivian is the quintessential '80s punk. He's got spikes embedded in his forehead. He's got a like a spiky haircut. He wears nose a, ring. a nose First ring. First person I saw with a nose ring. A sleeveless denim jacket. Yep, he is he, a absolute punk. He makes this like uh, Sid Vicious face all the time. Yep. And he's absolutely insane. Oh, he is completely insane. It's very funny. <laughs> very he's, funny. He's played by Adrian, Adrian Edmondson, who went to school with Rick. Him yeah. and him and Rick really created this show. Yeah. And he's the producer, the television producer in season three and four of Jonathan Creek. Yeah. So J- Jonathan Creek 
in those episodes, he hooks up his assistant or his sidekick. Yeah. So in Jonathan Creek, the seasons where his sidekick is the actress who played the daughter in Abfab, she's like a, in Jonathan Creek, she's like a reality TV producer, yeah. like a true crime Person. personality. But she's married to this guy who produces her show. That guy, this mild-mannered, glasses-wearing, hypochondriac character is played by the same actor who played Vivian in The Young Ones. Yes. I could not believe that was the same man. Yeah. Uh, Nigel Planner plays Neil, who's mm-hmm. a vegetarian. Yes. He's uh, like the hippy-dippy of the four of them. He's been in a ton of stuff, including Poirot's and yeah. Marple's. Yeah. And Christopher Ryan plays Mike. Who's like the straight guy of the four of them. He's like the most normal. He was in a bunch of ad fabs. Yeah. And Doctor Who's. And Abfab, he plays her ex-husband, doesn't he? Yep. Um, Not Patsy's, the other woman. Ah! What is wrong with Jennifer Saunders' ex-husband? Yeah. Yeah. So of these 12 episodes, there's one. We promise this is important. Of (laughs) particular (laughs) importance. Okay. The one episode of particular importance... Of the young ones. Of the young ones is called Bambi. Uh And I have a theory that all British entertainment from this point forward of this episode is somehow related to Bambi. So from from the young ones episode called Bambi... Yes. Forward. Yes. All British entertainment is connected back to it. (laughs) Let me tell you who is in this episode. Like before that, it's Zed Cars, but then Bambi airs and then it like resets and everybody's connected to it. So this is an episode (laughs) in which the lads go to Manchester to play University Challenge against the floodlights of Oxbridge. Yeah, they're... They're like Oxford-like rich kids who are vapid. (laughs) The other team includes the following people. Stephen Fry as Mm -hmm. Lord Snot, Mm -hmm. Hugh Laurie as Lord Monty, and Emma Thompson as Miss Money Sterling. Yes. The fourth member is Ben Elton. Okay. Okay. Uh, He plays Kendall Mintcake. Yes, and he actually writes tons of these shows now. Oh. He's a writer now. Okay. The person who runs the the challenge. The host. That host is Bambi. And he's a friend of Vivi of Rick's in the show. Okay. And he's played by Gre- uh, Griff Reese Jones. Okay. And the, he's Ambrose Deddington in Sting of Death, a new episode of Midsummer. Okay. He's in a 2019 Midsummer episode. The following people are also in this episode. All right. Robbie Coltrane. Uh-huh. Who plays Hagrid? Tony Robinson. Yes. Mel Smith, who is not the 9 o'clock news and in the p- m- Marple we watched last night. The yes. The big-nosed guy. <laughs> yes. No, that's... Yeah, that's Mel Smith. Alexi Sale is in this episode. Motorhead is in this episode. The whole band? The whole band. They play a song. (laughs) (laughs) It's just insane how much, like, every single. It's like three degrees of separation. Every single person on screen who has a line is a known individual now. Yeah. If you guys don't know this, IMDb has this awesome tool called, it's like Casting Common, where you can you can put in two shows and it will tell you all the people involved in both of those things. So actors, sound editors, you yeah. name it. If they're connected to both of those 
movies, TV shows, whatever, it'll show you. And Midsummer's one of those shows that has incredible overlaps with all kinds of stuff, mostly because it's been around for so long and it always has guest stars in every single episode. Yeah. But for the young ones to be so connected to everything with only 12 episodes tells you something. Yeah. So uh, you've heard of so a show called Smith and Jones? Yes. Yeah, that's Mel Smith and Grief Reese Jones. What has Reese Jones been in? Tons of stuff. Because his name sounds familiar. Yeah. Oh uh, my gosh, we're so boring people now. I'm sure we've okay. lost them. Okay, other Midsummer-related <laughs> stuff with the, the uh, young ones. Maggie Steed, who plays Lynn Fox and Sylvia Munford uh, in Schooled with Murder, Left for Judgment, Left for Dead. She's in it. Ron Cook, uh, who is in Echoes of the Dead, is in it. Charlie, Chris Berry, who played Rimmer in Red Dwarf, is in uh, Young Ones. Nick During is uh, in Young Ones. Our favorite jeweler, remember the jeweler, uh, Sebastian Renwick from the first season? Yeah. He's in Young from, Ones. From Midsummer, the first yeah. season. Yeah. yeah. But did you know there was a Young Ones video game? No. Yes. You're crazy. <laughs> there was never. There weren't even computers then. In 1986, some crazy nutty guy created the Young Ones video game. It runs on the Commodore 64 and the ZX Spectrum, and I must get this game running on Windows. Oh, my gosh. Somebody. I need to see Rick Mayo <laughs> in a video game. You can play any one of the four characters. <laughs> Oh my gosh. I was stunned. I cannot believe that there is a Young And if ones you've never heard of Young Ones, you're like, I don't even know what they're talking about. What's the big deal? Just Google it. Go. And then if you see 30 seconds of the Young Ones and then you, you hear us say there was a video game, you're going to be like, what? <laughs> That's all you need to Go see. Go watch the University, University Challenge, Challenge episode. Young Ones. Yeah. It's stunning. <laughs> the people in... Motorhead is in the episode. <laughs> it is 36 minutes of gold. I'm sorry that we have digressed so far, but frankly, The Creeper as an episode has kind of a shallow, kind of straightforward plot, and there are so many fun things that connect to it. I, We've already done like 10 minutes on Peerage and like 10 minutes on I, Young Ones. I cannot believe that episode of Young Ones. I just read through, you know how... You read through IMDb and you're like, I don't know who that is. I'm just like, I know them, I know them, I know them, I know them. Motorhead. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's crazy. It connects to the Harry Potter movies. Like there is six degrees separation or less. Oh, just being connected to Stephen Fry. Yeah. Connects you to everything. Yeah. Because Stephen Fry is in everything. And yeah. if he's not, then Hugh Laurie is. Emma Thompson. And <laughs> Hey, the first time I saw she this episode... She is the only Academy Award winner ever to appear <laughs> on Young, young ones. ones. The first time I saw this episode and I saw that Rick Mail was in it, the he he comes on screen. It's like, oh, this is going to be fun. Yeah. He's so tame in this compared to everything else. So if you think he's fun in this and you've never seen him before, oh, just, just, go, just go look him up because he's so great. The unfortunate thing about his character, David Roper, in this is that so everybody's kind of hesitant for him to come to the birthday party because the year before at Freddy's 24th, uh, he got really drunk, made off with Martha, the younger daughter, 
and kind of embarrassed himself. But he has since stopped drinking. He's completely clean. He's ghostwritten a book. He's on the right track. He's doing really well, right? Um, But he wants to write a book about this group of friends and their time in university, and none of them want him to do it. And so when Jack as a publisher, turns him down, he drinks. And I really wish he didn't. I I really wish that instead of falling off the wagon, somebody drugged him or something. Because as a character, I think that was a bad decision. So two things. One, they I don't know why they do this. They do these flashbacks to 25 years ago. And yet none of the people 25 years ago that so that includes Isabel William Jack Philby the doctor the doctor Sylvia a bunch of people they all look exactly the same except their clothes and hair are different well except right. William he looks exactly the same <laughs> I think William Chetham looked like he looks when he was like 10 and he stayed exactly the same they put the kind of filter thing they rub some Vaseline on the lens yeah. and they give Isabel bigger hair. Yeah. And it's like, oh, it's 25 years ago, which would have made it when? Uh, well. 1998. Okay. And they make it look like it's the 70s. Yeah. So this episode was released in 2010. So it would have been 85. 85, which is practically the 70s style wise. The whole point is that David has ghostwritten a book about this gangster, this diamond geezer. Golden geezer is the name of the book, who was also at that party. And so, you know, it's the confluence of the past that has caused the problem in the present. So Jack, business-wise, rightly so, says, that's a dumb idea. Yeah, I I don't want you to write a book about us. And he's kind of mean to Rick. David. David. (laughs) You're not on first name basis. Unfortunately, Rick Mail is dead now. He died young. Oh, we got to get back on track here. We're going to make people crazy. Yes. So he gets up, David gets upset and starts to drink. And when he starts to drink, it's on. It's on. He's got a whole bottle of brandy. He goes out into the the forest and how's the Crumbs at the rich man's table. (laughs) Guzzle, guzzle, guzzle. (laughs) I have to think... That that was Rick Mayo improvising and they kept it because he's fantastic over the top. So he starts to sing. He sings a song. What's the song? Uh, oh, Christmas Tree. It's dun, 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 but with different lyrics. Yes. It is called The Red Flag. It's a socialist song emphasizing the sacrifices and solidarity of the international labor movement. It's the anthem of the British Labor Party, the Irish Nationalist, Social Democratic and Labor Party, and the Irish Labor Party. Traditionally sung at the end of each party's national conference. Oh. So. So he's saying to the patriarchy, yep. the peerage. The Irish, an Irishman, Jim Connell, wrote the song in 1889. Wow. There are six stanzas. Rick only sings the first two. Right. And it is to the tune of O Christmas Tree, which is the original O Christmas Tree. Like that's, O Tannenbaum. O Tannenbaum is where that tune comes from. Now, he also felt it should be sung to the tune of the pro-Jacobite Robert Burns anthem, The White Cockade. A less familiar song. Yes. <laughs> but to no surprise to anyone... The Billy Bragg version of this song. (laughs) Billy Bragg recorded a labor union song? No. I know you're stunned. He recorded it uh, with the tune of The White Cockade. 
Of course he did. Of course he did. Because it's better. The people's flag is deepest red. It's shrouded in our mired dead. And ere their limbs grew stiff and cold, their hearts' blood died. It's every fold. It's a happy song. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Christmas tree. Oh, oh Christmas. cold dead limbs. <laughs> Speaking of limbs, David gets hit by one. Rupert, Rupert whacks him in the head. He goes, I wasn't trying to kill him. Oh, you he hit him over the head with a limb. You could have easily <laughs> killed him. Yes. Easily. Instead, he ends up crawling to the house. With the help of the creeper, though we don't know it at that point. Yeah, and gets put in Elizabeth's power chair to go up the stairs to bed. (laughs) I love that they put the drunk guy in the power lift chair to go up the stairs. And he looks at Isabel and says, I know what you did. Which is the last thing that anybody... So somebody should kill me tonight while I'm drunk because I know stuff. It's as bad on Midsummer as saying, oh, it's you, which also (laughs) happens in this episode. Because that means you're going to (laughs) die. Bit of advice. Don't say, I know something, or, oh, it's you, if you don't want to (laughs) die. The doctor does both. (laughs) Yeah. So the idea is the creeper may have been involved with this because the creeper broke into Jack's house mm-hmm. and the Dower house. To be fair, breaking into Jack's house is breaking into her own house. Yeah. The creeper broke into her own house. I don't know who played the creeper in the full black getup, but whoever it is, they are good. Yep. She climbs that downspout. Not only is that tough climbing, but that's a well-constructed downspout. I noticed it was a well-constructed downspout. I was like, you couldn't do that on my downspout. Because in every other movie, it would peel away from the house and dump her in the bushes. Yes. <laughs> That's what's supposed to happen. David Roper, Peter, uh, Richard Mayo. <sighs> David Roper, Rick Mayo, very good corpse. I'll say it now. Yeah. I'm going to give it away. Well, it's the only corpse we see. They... Lift him up, yep. they move him around, they yep. jerk his head around. <laughs> he does some excellent physical acting. By not doing anything. Yep. So it's clear, because Tom is smart enough to look at the pillow, that a pillow has been pressed on his face while he was sleeping. Yep. yep. Drunk. And now he's dead. And this has nothing to do with the family. This has everything to do with the family. The more Elizabeth says, you just never give up, do you? You just dig around in things that aren't any of your business. This has nothing to do with it. The more Barnaby's like, "Um, red flag to a bull. Yeah, it must have something to do with the family. Speaking of red flags, the bull, I watched that scene probably four times because there's a green dial phone in the background. (laughs) Nerd alert, nerd alert. I wanted to make sure it was a dial phone. It's an actual dial phone. Rotary? Yep. Then the creeper breaks into the doctor's office. Yes. And we've not even heard of her before this scene. Yeah, out of no... Well, she was at the dinner party. I went back and checked. Yeah, but she's like a non She doesn't thing. even say that she's a doctor at the dinner party. No. And I thought it was weird that an optometrist would be at the doctor at the dinner party. You thought she was an optometrist because you saw an eye chart in her office. Which is what an optometrist has. Yeah, but GPs have them too. I realized that after we see the sign outside, but at first I'm like, why does an optometrist know about the... uh, Genetics genetics of somebody's kid? Somebody's kid. I was like... Oh, well, she's a private GP. Yes. She's not on the NHS system. (laughs) None of our clients would do this. They're private. Yeah. (laughs) 
<laughs> if you pay for your own health care, clearly you're a good person. Like, have That's, you watched this show? Yeah, really. <laughs> and I love that the creeper, so clearly Talus, who's the creeper, goes into the doctor's office to steal medical records because she wants to out this big secret because she thinks it's damaging the family that they're all keeping this big secret. But while she's there, she also steals the photo, right, in yep. the silver frame of these people at the party way back in the 80s. Whoa, 85, man. They, like horse and buggy back then. Yep. She also steals the doctor's fly fishing rods off the wall. <laughs> I just have this image of her trying to get through the door with the fly fishing rods <laughs> and them going against the, the, the sound that the fly fishing the rods. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like when a dog tries to go through a doorway with a stick that's wider than the doorway, but it's fly fishing rods. Or better yet, shimmying down a drain spout, holding two fly fishing rods in her teeth <laughs> through the balaclava. I'm climbing down. <laughs> so her name's Talis. Did you look into her name? Yeah, it, I mean, there's not much there. It's just a weird name. It is a weird name. And then Martha. Not a bad name. It's an unusual name. Yes. So then the creeper breaks into the Barnaby's house. Yes, to leave... Two pictures. One is the photo stolen from the doctor's office, and the other one is an engraving that was stolen from Jack's house. The from most, her own house. The most important thing here is Joyce falls down the stairs. Ooh. I it upset me. And it's me. actually her. It, it's, it's her. It's not the a stunt actress. double. Yeah. And it upset me. It looks ouchy. It does. It upsets Tom, too. Well, He says her name like five times. Joyce, 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 Joyce. She's in a pile at the bottom. Wow. that That's probably the most upset I've been about Joyce. Well, for Joyce. Yes, for Joyce. Well, and let's be honest. Every other body Tom's ever seen at the bottom of a stairway is dead. Yes. <laughs> but I just love that she's like, do I have to do everything? I guess I have to chase this cat burglar down the stairs. Like, Why would you challenge... A burglar. Joyce would. That's not your job. Oh, she falls down the stairs. And I hear it. And I could. You can feel the edge of the steps on your back, can't you? It would hurt so much. So then it's revealed. So Tom thinks he knows this big secret. Super big secret. Because they get a letter from the Victoria and Albert Clinic. On, which doesn't exist. Yes, it's on Harley Street. Yeah, of course, because all the most expensive doctors are. And it reveals that Sir Chetham shoots blanks. Can't have bibis. So they find out that Philby is his father. Yes. And they're like, well, we all know that. It's not really a big thing that you've just revealed to us. Yes. Because we knew that William was shooting blanks, and so we made a private arrangement among us that Jack would father the baby, and Freddie already knows that Jack is his dad, yep. and Talis Every- already knows that they're half-siblings, and so Everybody Tom is that. like, oh, well, that must not be it then. It must not be the big secret that you're hiding then. But he, through that, he figures out that Talus is the creeper. Yes, because he finds the fox hair on the frame. Mm-hmm. And she's got Sid the fox, who she's saving from the hunt. Yes. Because she's a vegetarian, and she's against animal cruelty. And Jack Philby never remarried after his 
wife wife died. died. Because, and he keeps Isabel close, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. If I was William, it seems like William and Isabel have a good relationship, but knowing that at least what he thinks is that Jack is Freddie's dad, I would want there to be some pretty distinct distance between Jack and Isabel. I would think so. But and as for, we learn, Isabel's kind of the Martha of the 80s. <laughs> but for him to say, I want Freddie on one side of me at dinner, Jack says, and I want Isabel on the other, if I was William, I'd say, wait a minute. No. Yeah. My wife does not sit at your right hand at dinner. Yeah. Because she's my wife. Yeah. But I guess he's either run over too many times by all of it and lets it happen, or he's just laid back. Maybe he's read the little book of calm. Maybe. You know who needs to read it? Elizabeth. Yes. And Martha. Yes. Martha, Martha, Martha. <laughs> I just want to shake her. She's annoying as hell. Oh. She's just... And uh, contributes nothing to the episode. overly sexualized in... Purposefully shocking. A way that you think she's drunk all the time. Yeah, and sort of like what you might expect a precocious teenager to try pulling off. Like, I'm going to be shocking and confrontational. But she's, I think she's supposed to be older. So the doctor has all these mysterious phone calls with somebody and decides, let's go meet in the woods with shotguns. That'll end up okay in midsummer. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, it's you. (laughs) I will, this scene, I'll give him every credit for that bird, though. She wings a bird of some sort, pigeon, I don't know what it was. It's Um, a pigeon. And it's on the ground, it's bloody, and it's twitching around, which is really bothering. I'm not a hunter, it's not my thing. Um, But it's not a real bird, so I'm impressed that they made a prop bird that that was so kind of disturbing. And she snaps its neck. And then we get gun vision, shotgun vision. Yep. Hey, don't fool around, that thing's loaded. Bam! Then we get the awesome special effect of the fake Explosion. Yes. Kablooey. It's, it's totally fake. Sylvia's gone. Yep. Well, they couldn't, it, it wouldn't be easy to do a realistic point blank shot in broad daylight yeah. <laughs> from a shotgun. And still, you know, you can have the boobs in the, in in the, the window. In the window, but you can't have, you can't have somebody's head exploding. No. <laughs> and then, of course, we so find it's out. It's staged to look like suicide, but it's not suicide. They know right, right. away. They know it's not suicide. They put Somebody puts a stick in it. Whatever. Yeah. And then it comes out that Freddie is actually Harry Godbolt's son because Isabel had a thing with the gangster. Yeah. And, and then it's clear who did it. Yep. And Isabel is jil- jilted by the gangster. Mm-hmm. But... Let's just get this down, that no one in this episode is likable. No. No one. No. So Isabel got pregnant by the gangster. He totally is He's like, like well, it's not mine. It's not Bye. mine. He's not an honorable gangster. Come on. <laughs> you should totally talk like uh, Michael Myers. Like Austin Powers? Yeah, the gangster should totally talk like Austin Powers. It's not my baby, baby. It's not my baby, baby. <laughs> Groovy, I'm out. So she <laughs> she calls the chief constable, who's just a constable at this point. Yeah, he's been in uniform for six months. And it's implied, I watched it twice, that she stupid him, too. I don't know about that. He they always, have a he special says, relationship. He says that she was always out of his league. Yeah, but he certainly would like to be. She gets gold 
Blot Gold, Godbolt. Godbolt. Get his name straight. <laughs> He's Golden Godbolt. <laughs> Could they make that harder to say? He's the Golden Geezer Godbolt. Jeez. I think the implication is that she gets him drunk or doped up or whatever, and then she tells Lovell, hey, he's in that room and yeah. nobody's guarding him. So he yeah. catches him because he's been on the run. Yeah. And I'm having his baby. Yeah. Um, which sets Lovell's career off on a good trajectory and all that stuff. Which I don't think, like, it's kind of shown that Lovell did something wrong. He did nothing wrong. No. He got a hot tip on a, a fugitive and went and apprehended him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now, he might have milked it for all he could get, but yeah. can you blame him? No. You know? I mean, he didn't ask for backup. Yeah. Right? He went and did it on his own to get the maximum credit for it. So David Roper had a computer, and Barnaby sets a trap. It's mm-hmm. a trap where he says, oh, we'll search your house tomorrow. And then they stake out the driveway. We're looking for this computer. Yeah. And they stake out the driveway in the worst way possible. Like, it's, you come Like, just out, by parking up next yes, to the driveway? Like, you <laughs> clearly would see them. <laughs> right? And Isabel takes off. Because she's going to go destroy the laptop somewhere. Because yeah. it, it's what has the evidence on it that... I don't know why she doesn't destroy the laptop right there. Yeah. Like... Stomp on it. Set it on fire. There must be somewhere in that house where you could hide a broken laptop. Surely they have an incinerator. Something. Yeah. So Isabel is the killer. But we find out that Isabel was like, she had an accomplice. She's Elizabeth's henchman. It's yeah. Elizabeth who's the killer. Elizabeth is the brains behind the outfit here. She doesn't want there to be any threat yep. to her grandson's claim to the baronet title. This is all rich, awful people being rich and awful to each other. What is there to fight for in Uh, terms of that title? They don't own the house anymore. It doesn't get you a political position. Yep. There's no reason to be the baronet anymore. And Who cares? And And Freddie doesn't care. And I say, if Jenny Auguter sat down and talked to Rick Mayall, they could have worked it out. Yeah, I think so too. Because clearly... She could have said... Clearly, uh, look, David, David Roper was in love with uh, Isabel, too. Oh, yeah. She could have said, look, you can't. You know, you'd ruin everything. My kid, come yep. on. You know? Yep. You can't reveal that I had this affair. Yep. Don't do that. And he probably would have said, okay. I, I Okay. So, I love Jenny Auger. She's fantastic in this. She's. I've seen her in a million things. I love when she gets out of the car and she's like, why did you do that to me? You ran me off the road. You ran me off the road. Uh-huh. <laughs> and they're like, uh, you have evidence. Yeah. She's like, well, I'm going to call the chief constable on you. Okay. Because we know he's part of it. Do you know she's in Child's Play too? Yes. Ginny Auguter yes. is in Child's Play too. She's in Child's Play too. You may recognize her from American Werewolf in London, where she plays the nurse and the love interest. Or Logan's Run, or The Avengers, or Captain America Winter Soldier, where she plays a pivotal role at the climax. She's been in a lot of things. Not all good, by the way. Oh, God, no. So then Barnaby goes and talks to Talos. 
and basically says, I know you're the creeper. Yeah, because he's found the fox hair and he knows she's got a fox. Yeah. But he's going to let her off the hook if she stops and she returns everything. So she dumps all of her booty in Lovell's living room. (laughs) In a big pile. Like, how did she manage that on the quiet? I don't know. She's an amazing cat burglar. I guess they didn't change the code on their cheap alarm system even after they were burgled. Maybe she fit through the cat flap. <laughs> Maybe the cat held she, it open for her. I won't go through it, but you can. Go you ahead. Can. I don't have a phobia. I I had to look into cat burglars because I I knew that there was a whole class of burglars who A targeted very wealthy people in like these rich country homes and B did it in a way their goal was to have you never know they'd even been there, right? Until you notice something's missing. Yeah. So they do it without breaking windows and without smashing stuff. And, and this is a well-known trope. Oh, yeah, yeah. And But there really were cat burglars. Now, I couldn't find any female cat burglars in history. Okay. I'm sure there have been some, but it's very hard to search for. Yeah. Because as soon as you put in cat burglar woman, you get completely different stuff. Don't Google it. <laughs> That's all I got to say. Don't Google Squeagle. Don't Google that. No. Basically, it's a lot of cheap Halloween costumes is what you get. Yeah. But I was really interested to find out that one of the most notorious cat burglars in the UK, his name was George Taters Chatham. Taters. Chatham, sorry. Yes. Which is very close to Chatham. It's very close to Chatham. Um, And he was this kind of cat burglar. Like, he almost saw himself as as a Robin Hood. Uh, Though he didn't give it to the poor, he kept it for himself and mostly lost it gambling. Okay. He stole the Duke of Edinburgh's ceremonial swords that have emeralds and rubies in the handles. Wow. And just took them right to the betting table and anteed up with one of the rubies that he pried out of it with a knife sitting there. Wow. Yeah. So he got caught. Oh, yeah, definitely got caught. (laughs) But even more interesting is this guy named Peter Scott, who is known as the king of cat burglars. The king of cat burglars. In the UK. He and Chatham kind of crossed paths. He's younger than Chatham. But he stole from Vivian Lee, who was in Gone with the Wind, if you don't know who she is, Zsa Zsa Gabor, and Sophia Loren. Wow. He stole a 200,000 pound necklace from Sophia Loren. Wow. When she was staying in a country house while filming a movie. It's amazing. Yeah. He broke into the Shah of Iran's English mansion and stole from him and managed to not disturb the peacocks that he had that he used for guard dogs. Wow. So the Shah of Iran had peacocks everywhere, and we know how loud they are because you've heard them in every midsummer. Yeah. If it's not a fox in the background, it's a peacock screaming, um, and he didn't disturb them. But the, So he saw himself, again, he also saw himself as kind of a Robin Hood. He thought these rich people sort of deserved it. Yeah. And I love this quote from him. So this is Peter Scott, king of cat burglars, Okay. He says, if I rob Ivana Trump, it is just a meeting of two different kinds of degeneracy on a dark rooftop. Nice. That's a great phrase. Isn't that awesome? Yeah. But then there's this other stuff. So there's a couple of characters I have to tell you about. Okay. So this one guy, Blaine David Nordle, he... Uh, again, a cat burglar, his big thing was he kind of perfected the process of removing a single pane of glass 
very, very carefully and very, very quietly so that he wouldn't set off alarm systems. Mm -hmm. But then he would disarm the alarm system, and you want to know how he learned to do it? How? He studied them at the local library. Oh. (laughs) So he sat in the library and studied how alarm systems were built, and then he went and robbed people. Nice. And nobody made this connection. Nice. But he, his big thing, David, uh, Blaine David Nordle's big thing was silver. He loved to steal silver. So he would go into a big house. He would steal a whole, whole bunch of silver stuff, put it in a big bag, go outside to the yard and use his silver testing kit to see if it was real or plate. And if it was plate, he'd leave it behind. <laughs> you should crap silver on the front lawn. Yeah. That's what they would find. It's all of their silver plate sitting in the grass and the good stuff gone. Wow. So I can just see him sitting in the dark with his little silver <laughs> testing kit. Yeah, because you, you have to like scratch it a little bit yeah. and rub it on a piece of stone to know whether it's yeah. real. Um, and then there's another one that is just too close to this episode for me not to tell you about him. His name was Jack McLean. And his big thing was that he would, again, very good at disabling alarm systems that he would then reset before as he left mm-hmm. so they wouldn't find it disabled. Unless it was an alarm system that he'd never seen before, in which case he would cut it out and take it with him so he could study it. <laughs> so he would steal the alarm system sometimes. <laughs> I stole so much from you. I took the alarm. Yes. But he also loved to leave sarcastic notes behind. Oh. So he broke into a police chief's house and left a note on his car that said, glad to see you're doing your job. Oh. Rub your face right in it. Wow. I love that. Somebody got yelled at over that. Uh Uh-huh. I just thought, wow, somebody who can avoid peacocks, somebody who studies burglar alarms at the library... And carries his own silver testing kit. Do you know what a burglar's plaster is? No. You take a piece of paper, like brown paper, like a grocery bag, and you cover it in treacle. And then you stick it to a pane of glass so that when you break it, it doesn't fall out or make any sound. That's smart. Mm-hmm. Things you learn on this podcast. And I guess if the cops catch you with it, you can just pretend to lick it. It's a snack. It's treacle. <laughs> this is my own invention. It's called treacle paper. I like to lick it for a snack when I'm hungry. Before you use it on glass, I would guess. Yes. (laughs) But that's a burglar's plaster. So Isabel is the henchman and... Weak, weak, weak. Ah, can I shake Elizabeth? And Elizabeth is the brains. But she's, she's she tries me. to get away with it by trying to commit suicide with pain pills. <laughs> no one is held responsible in this I'm episode. just going to eat all this codeine right in front of you. What? And she's so mean to William. She's oh. like, weak, weak, weak. You couldn't even. She, she herself was not that great. She mm. only had one kid. Yeah. You're supposed to have an heir and a spare if you're serious. You're supposed she only to had stay in that house, lady. That's your house. You. Stay in your little lift chair. Don't be so nasty. Gosh, she's nasty. And Freddie and... Talis. Realized they're not related, so... I've always wanted to sleep with you, but I thought you were my half-sister. I know, me too. Now we know we're not related. Let's run off together. Kissy, kissy. And off they go to become cat burglars together. Yes, in the Scottish Highlands. (laughs) (laughs) No one is held responsible for this episode. Well, Elizabeth and Isabel are going to jail. Yeah. Right? Yeah, but Isabel, but Elizabeth tries to get out of it. That's why I hate about it. She like, does, but she tries, but she yeah. doesn't get away with it. No. I'm, I'm, I don't think, we didn't see it happen, but I'm sure Jones had to like finger sweep her mouth. <laughs> get all the okay. pills out of it. <laughs> didn't need that today. 
She'd bite him. You know she would. <laughs> He'd have to take her false teeth with him. Weak, weak, weak. Weak, weak, weak. You're weak, weak, weak. And that. And then Martha shows up in the power suit. Yes. As the fancy good kid and says, Dad, let's go to work. And we're supposed to forget about. Her being a floozy. Yes. And a drunk. And he does. He's like, okay. Because he's got ironed jeans on. Like, he should be like, well, let's think about that. Yeah. I don't know. Like, have you been to school or anything? Do you know like, anything? He would. He should take Rupert instead of her. Yeah. I love Rupert. He is an undervalued character in this yeah. episode. Because when they get him alone and interrogate him, ask him about the family, he just let it all hang out. Yeah. Oh, my God. They're awful. <laughs> You think he's like this super loyal manservant no, or whatever. No, oh, no, 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 no. And he totally knows that Martha's trying to do things to him. Oh, yeah. So. Oh, yeah. And that is the creeper. That's the creeper. Yes. I think, I don't even know if we have to do best corpse. Yeah, we now have to do best corpse because. David Rick, wins. Yeah. Rick Mail wins. We, do, we don't even see the doctor's corpse. And half the time I forget that she gets killed anyway. Yeah. And I think we've just talked about what happens after the credits. Well, we got to talk about William because he. Oh, poor William. His entire life is destroyed. He has no children. No. He has no wife. He has no mother. No. And he has no money. Yeah. He should go to work with Jack. <laughs> well, he and Hugo, the other nonsense character. Yeah. Used to have an art gallery together. Maybe they could So have... he, I mean, I guess Hugo kind of implies that he was kind of a wastrel in the business, but that's Hugo, you know. I don't really believe what he says. So he does have some business chops. You want to know something weird about the actress who plays Elizabeth Chetham? What? The mother. Um, her name is Barbara Jefford. She is credited for three James Bond movies where she only plays a voice. What voice? And it's a different voice each time. Oh, really? She's in From Russia With Love, Thunderball, and The Spy Who Loved Me. And in every one of them, she plays a woman's voice on the telephone and a different person. Wow. That's interesting. Yeah. And Julian weak, Wadham. Weak, weak, Yeah. Julian Wadham. I'm not weak. I'm James Bond. I'm James Bond. Um, <laughs> Julian Wadham, who plays William Chetham, he's in The Exorcist, The Beginning. Which is the... Precursor yeah. sequel yeah. to The Exorcist. It's not good, okay? It's very not good. There's a new Exorcist coming out this year. I'm sure it'll be terrifying. Yes. But it's, yeah. I mean, I couldn't even put it on the list of horrible movies because it's just, it, it's so bad that you can't even yeah, like. And you know I've seen that. You Do a synopsis of it. That's an easy one. But I have three horrible movies for you. Oh, you do? I do. And I am on a run. Oh, you are. You are. I, I literally had a moment of guilt this week and started watching some Hammer Horror movies because I apparently am not watching bad enough movies. Because you need to study. Because yes. you're worried. Yes. But none of the movies this week are Hammer movies. Oh, no. They are all from the 80s. Okay. So well, we got we, we got Jenny Auger. We got Rick Mayall. Yeah. <laughs> like, the, the, there's 80s problems here. <laughs> so are you ready for horrible movies? Yes. This movie is terrible. <laughs> I bet Mark's seen it. 
Okay, the first one is a Jenny Auger movie. She plays Isabel in this episode, yes. and it's from 1989. Okay. A well-known architect is busy working on the most ambitious skyscraper of her career. Things are running smoothly until a window washer mysteriously falls to his death in front of the building. Other accidents follow, and soon the tower is enveloped in rumors of ghosts and evil spirits. Okay, so this is not Sliver. Mm-mm. Okay. This, oh, I don't know what this is. It's called Dark Tower. Dark Tower. It's a skyscraper of death. Skyscraper of death. I think she accidentally summons a demon with the architectural plans or something. <laughs> Naked, I'm sure. <laughs> The fact that Jenny Auger keeps her clothes on in this episode is stunning. Ah, uh, you know, it's, Martha does it for her. Yep. Oh, that's one for me. Yes. <laughs> All right. The second one is a 1981 movie, okay. and Rick Mail, who plays David Roper in this episode, is in this movie. Okay. It's a musical. Okay. Set in a small town, which has become a giant TV station. Residents are either participants or viewers. A couple's marriage has fallen on the rocks, and ostensibly to fix their marriage, the husband is in prison in the local mental hospital, which is also the most popular show in town. You're making what a the good hell face. Is this? Oh man, this one's a doozy. Wow, this is horrible. I, I and it's a musical. Don't forget, it's uh, a musical. 1981. Uh, I don't know this movie at all. It's called Shock Treatment, oh. and it is the sequel to Rocky Horror Picture yes, Show. Yes, the sequel to Rocky Horror Picture Show. I've seen the poster for this movie. I've never seen it. Yeah, the guy who plays Riff Raff, yeah. who's also the host of that crazy game show in the UK. What's it called? Oh, people will know. It's like Blue Diamond Crystal Crystal Palace. No. Ah! You'll, you'll think of it and put it in the notes. Yeah. Um, but he plays Riff Raff in Rocky Horror. And he's in... Um, that movie with Rufus Sewell. Yeah, he's in Dark Los City. Dark City, yeah. Uh, he plays the, uh, so he goes from being Frankenfurter's butler yeah. to being the head psychiatrist at a mental institution. <laughs> it was crazy times. But the lady who plays Magenta, the maid in Rocky Horror, she's in it. Yeah. But they replace the two main characters, um, Janet and who's played by Brad. David, yeah, Janet and Brad from Ricky, uh, Rocky Horror. They replace the actors. They're different actors, but they're the same. They're supposed yeah. to be that couple. Yeah, I knew that. Oh, man, that's two. I knew that movie, but oh. I'd never seen it. It's called Shock Treatment. Yep, okay. number three. I am more confident about this one than the other two. Oh, so I'm going three for three this you week, are, baby. You are. 1988. Okay. Nicholas Grace is in this. He plays Hugo in this episode of Midsummer, Okay. A young woman about to be married begins having terrifying dreams about demons. When she wakes, however, the demons are real and begin to commit gruesome murders. One of the um, uh, reviews says, this is Britain's answer to Nightmare on Elm Street, but bad. <laughs> I don't know what this is. It's called Dream Demon. Dream Demon. Yes. It has some well-known folks in it. It's not totally B-movie. I'm sorry, folks. I'm just horrible at this. <laughs> I feel bad. Maybe I need to be nicer. Maybe. I need to, to maybe give you a I chance. I can't remember the last one I got. <laughs> so Dark Tower, Shock Treatment, and Dream Demon are yep. this week's horrible movies Mark hasn't seen. <laughs> you know, it's tough because I go through 
each of these actors' um, filmography, whatever, and look for these. And I, I tend to find horror movies because they're so frequently really bad. Yes. Right? A lot of these actors are in so many, like, amazingly good movies. Yeah. But you can't really make fun of them because they're, like, World War movies or... Movies about famous artists with mental illnesses. Yeah, they're not goofy movies. They're not goofy, bad movies. No. Rick Mail was in two Carry On movies. What? Yeah. They made Carry On movies in my lifetime? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So, that's three for three for me. Yeah. <laughs> bing, bing, bing. You've been listening to Midsummer Maniacs. We're on Twitter, Instagram, and email at midsummermaniacs at gmail.com. We're also on the Facebook group. Facebook groups for Midsummer and Acorn and the subreddit for Midsummer Murder. And we are approaching our last Tom Barnaby episode. Yeah, so we're we're next episode is the last episode of season 12, mm-hmm. episode 7, The Great and the Good, which Nancy Carroll screams into the night. Yes. That's all that happens in the episode. Yes. <laughs> and then we start season 13 and it's Tom's last season. Now there are some good episodes and some rough episodes and, and then the flat, the final episode. Yes. So as we approach that just going to put something in your ear listeners. Yep. Just start thinking about Start this. thinking about your favorite Tom Barnaby moments. Single moments. Because we're going to want them it would be awesome. We're going to yep. invite you to send us a little voicemail, a little Voice message about your favorite one. We got to do something special for Tom Barnaby's last episode. Yes. And then we switch to the John Barnaby episodes and everything is now new and shiny. Yes. But that is a whole season away. Yep. So, but we got lots. But it's coming. Yep. So, So until next week. Bye, maniacs. Bye, maniacs. So we find out that Isabel actually had a fling with David and Freddie is David's son. And that's no. why. Well, no, not David. The gangster. No, no. Th- we find out that this is what they're saying. But not David. Jack. You got to cut, cut all that. Yeah. <laughs>